then you're going to kind of just do that. But why? What are you trying to solve for? It may be the right move for you, but have you thought deliberately about what you're you're trying to do and what you want to do? And does that fit your your path? And having a mentor that has been down that path and can give you the pros and cons and really force you to think again, have you stopped to think about dot, dot, dot. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. I do have a confession to make. Yeah. Um, I wasn't at my desk at 9 a.m. this morning. I had to Uh, mow the lawn. uh, I spent an hour and a half mowing the lawn this morning before I started work. I mean, you're just, you are just not a dedicated employee. I don't know. I'm not engaged, am I? You are, you are disengaged. You just don't care. We're, (laughs) I don't know how we're going to solve this other than some kind of uh, program to make sure that you're actually at your desk at nine o'clock. We may need to install office webcams or some sort of devices to monitor your productivity. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just I actually did mow the lawn first thing this morning after I dropped off JP at the babysitter. I just I, I had to, you know, come in with a snarky remark. Yeah. That. Dude, I it's weird to me, man. <laughs> you know, I and I get it. I I I you know, it's we, we look at it from such a small lens, you know, and I can't imagine how difficult like a 5,000 or a 50,000 person company would be to, to manage. But these, these broad sweeping statements that CEOs and leaders are putting out there about their staff, if, if I worked for these people, I would be like, all right, time for me to find a new job. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah. and, and it's crazy to me because we don't apply this same level of scrutiny to in-office work. So we're basically saying if you work from home, you are going to be held to a higher standard of productivity than if you work in the office, which on the flip side is basically saying we're, we're okay. We're, we're okay that you don't, you know, focus the full, whole time at the office. And if you mess around, eh, we'll look the other way. Mm-hmm. It's silly to me. Like yeah. if we're going to hold employees that work from home to a certain standard why shouldn't all employees be held to that standard mm-hmm. yep and so i i thought of something interesting um so i mean like were you and i talking about it quite a while back that there have been studies done and they show like a majority of ceos have some level some level of sociopathic tendencies yeah like i mean like it, it's not an exaggeration <laughs> to say that to some degree or another, you know, CEOs and people that seek out that kind of a position of authority are psychopaths. Yeah. I, uh, it's, it, I, yeah. Um, so could this, it, could it just all be just a control mechanism? Like their need to control oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a, a huge part of it is the, the need to control. I, I worked for a guy once, um, I wonder if I should look him up and see if he's a CEO now. He was a VP at the time. Um, and we, we've probably talked about this on previous episodes, but he he was that control freak. You you are in the office at this time. You do not leave before that time. Um, and it, it was really, really challenging to work for. Did, did we talk about the needing to go to the dentist? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That this one the, still amazes me. Yeah, this is that's the guy, right? Like, oh, I'll have your dentist see if he'll open early or work on weekends. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. that's gonna work. So, yeah, yeah you know, just, my dentist will tell me to take a hike. He's like, he'll be like, go find a new dentist, bud. It's yeah. not gonna be me. Yeah, I think a big part of it is is control. Um, and I think a big part of it is is we just haven't really sat down to think about what we're measuring our our employees on. I mean, I think honestly, mm-hmm. that's the core of it is that we, we haven't put in the work to say, well, what is it that we're actually having Jim do? And is he doing it? And and so as a proxy for that, if you show up, then 
we'll, we'll make the assumption that you're doing at least something, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's lazy management, honestly, um, that that's contributing to this conversation. Yeah. Because if you think about it, the further and further you get up the corporate chain, what you do becomes harder and harder to, um, show tangible results. Uh, mm -hmm. is the best way I can think about it. So what you have to start doing, especially when you reach that middle management level, it's number of hours. Yeah. It's how often are you there? Are you in meetings? That's, you know, which, you know, number of hours, like we, we've talked about it time and time again, number of hours don't equate to quality output. It doesn't equate to even just a valuable output. Um, and meetings, I mean, everybody have seen, has seen that meme up oh, there. There's another meeting that should have been an email. Yeah. Meetings a lot of times are a waste of time. Um, so, but you know, you become judged because it becomes harder and harder to measure tangible output for you. It, it is. Yeah. And it's, it's true. And so I, I agree with you. That's why we do have so many meetings and we fill out so many forms and the, TPS, what was the, what was the form on the TPS uh, report, the TPS report, these things were created to create artifacts so that we can have some kind of tangible measure of the work that we're doing rather than putting in the hard work of saying, this is what we're actually creating. And a lot of it is, you know, theater. And a lot of it is job justification, uh, especially with some of these companies that get extremely large and, and bloated. Did I ever tell you about the time, like 15, 16 years ago, I introduced a TPS report as a gag, no. as like a, as a piece of project collateral. That's awesome. So the company I was working for, I've told you about the, the first company I started working for. It was a small company. You know, a lot of stuff was just done, you know, like ad hoc. And as the company started to grow both client wise and employee wise, we started to need to put procedures around stuff. So when I had first started, the implementation team was me and one other person and me at that time being a part timer. Yeah. So as the volume of work increased, the implementation team or what was an implementation team, let me correct myself, like there were others that were doing implementation, but they had other roles as well. So they actually said, we need a dedicated implementation team. I'd been there a couple of years at this point. So they put me, you know, gave me a role of supervisor as they started bringing in people. And we started to need to put a level of process around it to make sure stuff got done. Because in the early days when it was just a few of us and it was small enough that we were, it was easy to be accountable to each other. We didn't need a whole lot of process, but we, right. you know, the amount of work that was coming in, we need to put a level of process on it. So as, as I start to ramble, <laughs> but anyway, so I start to design the process for how the implementation, how a client implementation runs. And there, there was a, a formal handover from implementation to client services. Like it was a formal meeting that we'd always done when we said implementation is done, client services now owns this. So as part of it, we added in the TPS report, which was the <laughs> turned over project status. Awesome. So we documented like all the findings during the project, like what were some things that maybe we thought was one way in discovery, but then when we got into implementation, it was something else, like all of those details to brief the client services team on what to expect when the project goes live. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I did as a gag, I, you know, I, I, yeah. I, I gave it a background M. That's great. Yeah. Sometimes you have to have fun with stuff like that. Um, I know this isn't the topic for today's show, but did you see the, uh, there's an HBR article that was, I don't know if it was published yesterday, but it got some airtime on, on Twitter yesterday. Um, saying that in order for companies to be successful going back to the office under a hybrid model, they have to um, prescribe the days that people can work from home. I saw the chatter about that. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know it was an HBR article cause I didn't see, I didn't see the article, but I saw chatter about, about that, like prescribing, like what people need to do and when, and all I thought of the minute I thought of that has been the cluster of a school year my wife has been dealing with this year. Mm, I yeah, told you yeah. in the very beginning, I told you last summer <laughs> when they were, you know, starting to plan out the school year and they announced midsummer 
or yeah, it was no, it was midsummer. There was a hybrid plan, and then it was like the beginning of August. They announced they weren't going back. But I mean, the writing was on the wall. If you didn't, if, yeah. if you didn't see that they weren't going back, you were blind. Yeah. But anyway, you know, I said like this is an opportunity to make sure that kids get the attention that they need, and some of the kids normally the attention they would get in person remotely. And like I said, like if if I were if I were running this. I would say teachers need to plan out their work work, uh, work a week ahead of time, where it's like the the lecture is recorded and dropped. So you have 30 minutes each day that you know you have recorded. The students watch it at their leisure, but then your time during the week is split in half. Half of it is preparing for the next week, recording content and whatever collateral you need to hand out to students. And then the other half is meeting with students in small groups and one-on-one. But no, they yeah. didn't. Yeah. They, 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 they shoved in the current school model into a remote setup. So you have kids that have completely disengaged because they're sitting there staring at a screen, listening to it, to a teacher talk all day. Yeah. And that is all I thought about with, you know, with a hybrid office model, you need to tell your employees when to show up and not when to show up and, you know, what days they can be remote and what days they can't. And it's like, have we not gotten past the fifth grade yet? I'm sorry, but th th this drives me nuts. Yeah. The more and more I think about it, watching corporations and the education system over the last two years, watching them and how they have not been able to respond to the current you know, situation. Yeah. They were not nimble enough right. and they just went back to what they've always done before instead of saying, this is an opportunity to do something new and to be forward looking. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely right. And that, and it just is my concern with, with so many things we do. It's kind of like the, in, in our world, as we've been migrating from tag managers, it's kind of like the lift and what is it? The lift and shift, the dump lift and shift. It's like, you know, take one thing over here and just dump it in this new thing. It's like, but this is a new thing. This is a new paradigm. This is a new framework. Let's be creative and thoughtful in how we utilize this new thing that we're in. Um, but that tends to be the default is just, let's recreate what we did before, but in this new thing. And it, just use new tools. Yeah, it's in, it's incredibly, incredibly uh, difficult. And on the prescriptive nature of, of the work, uh, on on the funny side, I again think of office space. Like you know, this Friday is Hawaiian shirt day, so if you want to wear a Hawaiian shirt, you can wear a Hawaiian shirt you could on do Friday. That, yeah. um, but you know, for for me, it, it it comes down to two things. It comes down to autonomy. Like, and again, this goes back to the start of our conversation of which was just you, meant to be a joke. <laughs> yeah. Are, are you, what are you asking? Are, what are you asking your employees? I know it was meant to be a joke, but it's such a, it's such a timely and interesting topic. And I know it's totally off topic, but I'm going to get this out. No, actually, um, I think I've got a good segue. Um, what are, what are you asking your employees to do and then hold them accountable to doing that? And if you don't know what they're going to do, then yeah, it's really difficult. So we have to have assigned work from home days and assigned in the office days so we can measure productivity. Uh, if you create autonomy and you create clarity in what it is that you're asking your employees to do, then you trust them to make it happen. And and the, the argument was, well, it's going to be a it's going to be a mess because you're going to have some people in the office some days and not other days. Um, so how are we going to meet together? And then maybe there's more meetings and what are we going to do? Cause everyone's going to want to work from home on Friday. So the office is empty on Friday. So what? So what? Like then, then what's the issue? Like maybe there's a different issue that we need to be talking about. Um, but again, I think it comes down to autonomy and trust that you are trusting your team to get done what they need to get done. And people ask me this all the time with, with our model and, and, you know, our vacation policies. And they're like, well, how, how would that ever work? And I'm like, I don't know. It just works because we trust our team to, to manage their, their objectives and manage what it is that they're trying to do. And so, you know, if Jim's going to take two weeks off, then it's not that Jim just up and disappears for two weeks. It's like, okay, I have project deliverables. I have things I'm going, I need to get done. I need to manage towards that. I need to make sure there's someone that, that can cover for this, or I need to make sure things are done before that, or I've communicated like all of those things happen because you are committed to getting the work done. And so it just naturally takes care of itself. And I, and I, I think the same thing from a, a work from home perspective, if your employees are committed to getting the work done and they all need to get together and collaborate, well, 
then we need to trust them that they're going to be able to make that decision that we all need to be in the office on Wednesday for this collaboration session. Yeah. You know? Or groups of people are going to say, hey, let's make sure Wednesdays are the days that we're all here. Right. You know, like th- that's the one day. Let's make sure we're all here those days. The other four days, it doesn't matter who's here and who's not. And that's right. And you have to you have to trust them that they'll do that. And and if you don't, then you'll you'll go back to the default of, well, we'll just we'll just tell them what days they need to be there and whatnot. And that that's what our measure of, of productivity will be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think this leads into our topic actually really, really well. Um, so today I want to continue our theme around experience getting experience, gaining knowledge. And I want to really focus in on mentors, the topic of mentors. So it's something that's brought up, you know, often, you know, go out, find a mentor, look for a mentor, you know, as as you become more experienced, be a mentee or be a mentor and find a mentee. So I'm going to change that, you know, find someone to, you know, you could share your knowledge. Yes. Um, Sorry. Uh, no worries. But I mean, I, I think like right now, like one of the things we were just talking about, the common theme was, is um, just companies and the education system, and, you know, many school districts just shoving the old model into a new, you know, into a new medium using a new tool and it being worse than just trying something new. So like not having the fourth, uh, the foresight. And if you think about it, like there's, there's people that are going to see this and say, this is the way it's always been done. Maybe we have to change tools, but this is the way it's always been done. And we just do it. Right. I, I, I know when I come into an engagement, whenever I hear, well, this is the way it's always been done. Well, why? And when they can't ask why, like no one's actually even thought about it. Like, okay, it's not always bad that this is the way it's always been done. Maybe there's a credible reason for it, a good reason for it. And I, in my introduction, I'm even already going off topic. Um, yeah, we need to keep this one on the rails. Um, but anyway, like mentors. We need, to, we need to get this across the goal line somehow. Yeah, I know. Just like we, we, we just need to tuck it in and push it on through. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I want to focus on mentors because this would be a great time if, if you're, no matter, actually, no matter where you are in your career, you know, to, to have someone, it may not even be a formal mentor mentee relationship, but someone you can go to, um, to, to, for, for guidance, because the way of doing things is changing. Um, and the more people try to hold on to something, uh, the old ways of doing things, the harder it's just going to be, uh, for them. And so let's just start off with the, you know, the, the general questions of like, what are the roles mentors play and what's the value in having one and seeking one out? I mean, endless amounts of value. Um, yeah, I, so I, and I've talked about, uh, I, I think a handful of the, the people that I would consider uh, mentors that, that I've had uh, throughout my career. And I don't think any of them really from a formal perspective. Um, it, it's not, it, for me, it's not like in, in high school where you, it's a formal uh, do you want to go out with me? And we're dating now, like just <laughs> relationships evolve to a certain level, right? You don't ask them. Yeah. Like, well, can, can you mentor me? <laughs> you know, and that yes. seems a little, seems a little too, uh, seems a little too, what is the, what is the right word? Programmatic now. It seems forced. A forced. Yeah. Awkward. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's really, you seek out individuals. Do you like have, me? Yes. No. Yeah. Check, maybe. check the box. Yes. No, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I gotta I gotta make a note, find that find that image for, for this episode. Um but yeah, I mean those those relationships I think if you look for them just tend to to develop and there are there are people that unfortunately I think it's a, a limited few. I'm not sure what your experience is, but it feels like there are a limited few people that really want to serve that role. But the few that do I, I think are insanely, insanely valuable. Part of it is I just don't think people think that they have something to offer, which is unfortunate because I think everyone has something that they can offer from a, a mentorship standpoint. But I, I think a lot of people struggle with just thinking that, you know, I haven't reached a position in my career where I can be a mentor. I, I think that inflicts a lot of people. Um, 
on the more toxic side, I think there's a pretty sizable chunk of the population that feels like I climbed this mountain myself. So damn it, you have to climb it yourself too. Right. Like those people, it's like, you know, I'm not going to give you help. I didn't or what's even worse is those people had help and are closing the door behind them. That's right. Because I need to hold on to my power. I need That's to hold right. on to my influence. That's right. I can't be usurped. Someone, someone blazed the trail for me. I went down that trail and as I went, I destroyed it behind me. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately it happens a, a lot, you know, and this is a completely different conversation. And I think I find myself saying that a lot in these episodes, but uh, our, our way of working is, is fundamentally broken because of that. You know, we, we've created this, um, we've created this framework within the corporate world where we're competing against everybody. You know, the, the, the person sitting in the next desk next to me, I'm competing against. And so we, we don't have this sense of mentorship or helping or, or teamwork. Even it's, I have, you know, we're all in this for survival of the fittest. It's me against everyone else. And it's unfortunate because, if you if you view it as a zero sum game like that, it's just incredibly deflating and difficult to go through. But I'm I'm getting I'm getting way off topic. Um, for me, I, I I think again it was very organically finding mentors. Um, one of one of my very first bosses out of college, Paul Bartholomew, who I've, I I believe mentioned several times on previous episodes, uh, has been an incredible mentor to to me over the years. Um, and he has just been amazing in being open to to answering questions, me reaching out with odd things. When I was thinking about starting thirty three sticks, you know, just pinging him and saying, "What do you think about this? What do you think about that?" And just having someone that had a bit more experience than me um, was extremely comforting and, and helped really open my eyes to things that I hadn't thought about. And I think that's really the value of, of great mentors is um, maybe they're, they're not necessarily going to come in and give you a playbook. Um, they're not going to say, Hey, here's a paint by numbers of what to do, but they're really great as about, they're really great saying things. Did you ever stop to think about dot, dot, dot? And, and that to me is insanely valuable because we often in our, in our, our work and in our career, we get so in the weeds that we can't, we can't pull our head up and see. And so we see where it's right in front of us and just someone willing to step in and say, Hey, let me pull you up a little bit. Did you think to look over there? Um, can be so insanely valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like they, they, for me as well, they've always, you know, seemed to come up organically. So I think back to when I was fresh out of college. There were a few people I worked with that, you know, a couple times took me under their wing. And I, I remember a few examples. They were like, you see what's happening over there? Not good, is it? Yeah. Here's what happened. And here's what to look out for. You know, and it was nece not necessarily something I did was even involved in. But it was like, here's an opportunity to learn something and see something going on. Um, so I, I do, well... I, I've made no bones about it. Some of my workaholic tendencies I learned from from that job, especially toward the end when I left. Um, but early on, like there were some really good people I worked with, and you know they they were the ones that you know I think I you know a lot of the stuff that I, I I honestly sometimes think like I am a micromanager's worst nightmare <laughs> because the micromanager wants to tell you what to do, when to yeah. do it, how to do it. I think for myself, I have my own way of doing things. Um, and I am like, I do whenever I've had a micromanager throughout my career, I've always butted heads with them yeah. because it's just like, leave me alone and let me do my job. Yeah. Um, and I think it was some of the skills that though, that they taught me, you know, those first couple of years out of college that made me that way where I can, I can think for myself, I can plan out what I need to do. I can, I can own a project. I can own something and need very little check-in. Yeah, I, so, um, I had a thought, um, as we, as you were talking through that. So we, we you know, we're talking about this happening organically. Uh, I do think, um, Eric Peterson deserves a massive shout out, um, for, for forcing this, um, with the analysis exchange program. I don't know if you ever participated oh, yeah, I did in, that. in that. Uh, such an amazing program. And I'm sad that it, I, it, it only seemed to last a few years. Um, but while it ran, I think it 
it created massive value. I think I did four or five projects as a mentor. Um, and I don't, I don't know where all those mentees ended up, but I want to think that it, it really helped create a new opportunity and, and kind of following up on what was at our last episode where we talked about how do you get experience? Um, yeah. geez, what an amazing program that was. Um, uh-huh. I did it a couple times. Did you? Uh, yeah. And it was Randy who introduced it to me. We were both okay. working at GSI commerce at the time and he had gone through a few and then he introduced it to me. And like the first two I did, I was, I was the mentee, uh, to his, his mentor role on those. Oh, projects. Awesome. Well, that would be yeah. awesome. Yeah. So that's how I got introduced to it. And I did it a couple of times through, through him. Yeah. So again, while I'm, I'm, while I started out saying, yeah, we don't say, Hey, will you be my mentor? Um, there, there, I think there is an opportunity to, to have structure to it as, as well. Um, and one of the things that, that I've tried to do at the higher ed level, um, is, is kind of help force that conversation. So, you know, we've brought up Stephen Marshall at East Tennessee state quite a bit. Um, I, I floated that up to them several times saying, Hey, if you have students in your grad program that, that are looking for some mentorship, assign it to me. Cause I had done it, um, locally here at the university of Utah in their MBA program. Um, they, they have a program where you can sign up to be a mentor and they will um, align you with a like-minded student that has a similar career path as yours. And, and I mentored a couple students through that program, and it was insanely, insanely rewarding. So while I did kind of start out saying, hey, we don't give the box check yes or no if you like me, um, that, that's true for, for kind of how we go about life, um, seeking mentors personally. But I do think that there are some frameworks in place where um, it can be almost like a, a dating system where you get matched. And again, I think Eric deserves a tremendous amount of credit for for spinning up analysis exchange. I think that that absolutely helped change some trajectories of some people's careers. And I think there's a few at the higher ed level that are are doing it as well. So there's mm-hmm. there's definitely a component of that matchmaking for sure. Yeah. Speaking of Stephen, I have um, I'm actively talking to him right now bring them back for a couple of episodes. He and I are batting around some ideas. Um, so yeah, make a note of that. Let, let, let's talk to him about that again. Cause I think that would, that will be good. Cause you and I, one of the things we've always talked about is, is how, you know, there were those that helped us get started in the, in this field. Yeah. You know, how do we, how do we help bring on the next group? How, um, because if you think about it, you know, I'm, I'm going to call it out. A lot of the information has become siloed. You know, before I used to be able to, when I was first coming up in this, I used to be able to just search for something. And I've told you multiple times, (laughs) if I had a question nine times out of 10, it was answered in a blog post from either you or Ben Gates. Yeah. And I mean, it was, the information was openly out there. Um, So in a way you were a mentor for me for a few years as I was using all of the information you had published to, to really um, to learn a lot as, as, as I made my shift from financial services to this. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's, I think it's, I'm, I'm making a note too. Let, let's really push Steven on that. Cause I think yeah. that would be something good. Um, because I mean, like I, I do see a lot of flaws in the education system. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's yes. Education is necessary. Yes. We need those things, but it's not above criticism and we've talked about it so many times and you know having family members or teachers a wife who's a teacher um we're not teaching kids to think anymore we're not we're not teaching college students how to how to really be creative individual thinkers in their career you know, it, it, we, we're not doing that. And by we, I'm, I'm making something very generic. Yes, there are absolutely people that are, but we're not doing it enough. And I'm seeing more and more people who are coming out of college and they've been taught to be drones. They've yeah. been taught to sit at their desk <laughs> and wait for the next thing to do. Yeah, so I'm taking notes because you're bringing up so many thoughts that I wanted to to touch on, but back to your, your point of, of siloed information and having mentors freely being able to offer their advice. 
I, I agree. I think it's it's unfortunate. Uh, however, uh, I, I still think there are bits and pieces of that happening. Um, but we've made it a bit more difficult. So back in the early days of digital, um, I think Twitter was a huge platform to to connect with people. Um, and it was, you know, anyone could opt in and join and you were there and you could consume a lot of great information. There were a lot of really great practitioners that served as mentors sharing advice on, on Twitter. Um, at some point in time that that died um, and the the uh, the audience migrated to slack pound measure slack um, which I think there's a lot of really great things happening there Jen um, from our team is is doing um, an amazing amount of mentoring there so shout out to Jen as well um, using that platform to provide a lot of mentoring but it did it did pop up a barrier so where Twitter was freely open for anyone to go and consume, you know, Slack did introduce a, a barrier you had to climb over to get in. Uh, you had to request membership. You had to get in. You have to be, you know, so it, it did create a, a bit of a barrier. But I think the biggest piece has been organizationally. Um, organizations that have um, sucked up talent. Um, so I'm, I'm looking specifically at consulting organizations that have taken a lot of these mentors and have hired them, which is awesome, right? That's that's great for these organizations. But then they then said, we own your IP and your IP is to drive sales for us. So you can take a look at several of the name brand agencies in our space. And they're saying, hey, we'd be happy to create learning content for you. And we're, we're happy to, to collaborate and share our ideas, but it's going to be inside our walled garden. It's free, but you have to come play inside our garden. And, and you know that that has a component of sales and marketing to it. They're going to use those interactions to mine for sales. And that's unfortunate. Um, it's like, why can't you just help people to help people? So I do have a bit of frustration and I'm not going to name names. I'm sure the listeners probably know who I'm, I'm talking about, that there are a two or three name brand agencies in our space that have absolutely added to the silo, siloing of information um, and have made it more difficult for people coming up to to find mentors in the digital space. And shame on them for doing that. It, it's just, it's a short-term ploy to get sales that's hurting everybody in the long term. Um, and, and honestly, we've had our own organizations. You know, uh, I have not been a fan of the DAA. I've made that very clear. While they do a lot of good things, um, they've had some uh, leadership on their board that has made very clear that we're happy to teach, we're happy to mentor, as long as it's inside our walled garden. Again, like, why are we putting up these unnecessary barriers? Um, is it to drive money so that the DAA can make more money? Is it for ag agencies to get more leads? I mean, fine, but really that's against the spirit of being a mentor. The, the, the spirit of being a mentor shouldn't be for me to get a sales opportunity out of it. It should be for me to give back to an industry that has helped me get to where I am. And, and putting up these unnecessary barriers and silos to allow people to be mentors, you know, that's that's bad on the DAA. And I don't blame the DAA as a whole. I blame a handful of people that have uh, held board positions that have looked at it as an opportunity to grow their career and grow their company's revenue rather than adding back to the value of the community. Um, so that's that note. Um, and then I'll pivot to your other note um, on education, if unless you have comment. Nope. Go ahead. Okay. So your, your other piece, you talked about, you know, we're not creating, creating thinkers. Um, and I, and I agree. And, and it's an interesting conversation from a mentorship standpoint in that, um, and, and look, this isn't something new. I saw this in college 20 years ago. Um, As did in, I, yes. Yeah. In, in grad school, I, I'm pro I've probably made, uh, made it clear that I was not a very good student from a, a grade standpoint. Um, and that continued all the way through grad school. I was not a, a great uh, student in grad school from a getting grade standpoint. Um, but I remember very clearly I was, and I don't even know if this building still exists. It went through a major renovation, but I was in the basement of the business building on the campus of Utah State University. Um, and I remember very clearly sitting in that class thinking, I am going to crush all of these people I'm sitting around that are the top performers on the Dean's list, A students. I'm going to crush them in the real world. And I can't remember what caused me to have that thought, but I looked around and I saw how amazing they were at coloring by numbers. I saw how amazing they were at taking a set of directions and following it to a T. 
And I thought, the real world doesn't work like this. The real world is incredibly messy and complex. And no one can give you a paint by numbers that is going to create an amazing painting. You have to be creative. You have to think on the fly. You have to be able to address uh, things that were unforeseen that come up. But even, even at the higher ed level, in grad school, we were teaching our students to paint by numbers. And I'm like, this is, this is fundamentally broken. Um, and then I, I stopped to think about, you know, we've, we've kind of downplayed um, the, what, what's the model, the education model where you're, you're kind of more hands-on like the, uh, the Montessori. Well, I'm thinking of like the applied technology centers, you know, oh, like, okay. um, you know, oh, uh, Votech. Yeah. Vocational tech. Right. Yeah. Uh, we kind of, the, that's a lesser, that's a lesser education. That's a lesser oh, degree. Yeah. When I was and in I'm, high school, like the, those kids were kind of like, Oh, you're, you're in the Votech program. You're, you're, you're one of those. But I have to think that they've figured something out better than higher education in that they're, they, they have this model where they assign a, a learner, um, to, to a mentor and they work on solving real world problems and learning how complex things really are and learning how to use that knowledge to, to solve for, for complexity. Um, why, why are my words slipping me? What is, what do we call this? Like, a, a in the, in the trade apprenticeship, so, apprenticeship, right? Yeah. Like oh, we, we, have, we are totally missing that. We're, we're missing that component. Um, and we have people coming out of education that are prepared for factory work, for line work, for to, you know, work on an assembly line. They're perfectly prepared for that. Um, but it's only a small segment that's coming from these Votech schools that are actually prepared for solving complex real world problems. So maybe we shouldn't downplay the value of those programs as we do. And we should look at them and say, wait a minute, they've solved for a fundamental flaw in our higher education system that we need to create thinkers. And these kids that are coming out of these Votech schools are thinkers because they're being assigned a mentor and they, they have this apprenticeship and they're learning under that um, expertise how to solve for real world problems. And mm -hmm. we're, we're missing that in higher education. So what kind of t led me down this path is, is, is last night we were watching the Netflix documentary on the college admission scandal from two, three years ago. Uh, where you know several celebrities and high-profile people got caught essentially using this middleman to bribe schools to get their kids in, and like to the point where it was like flat out lying. You know, the, their kid wasn't necessarily the brightest, uh, but you know they they apparently played a sport where they would just flat out lie and say, "Oh yeah, yeah, they're on this sport," and money would come in through through means and then the kid would get accepted to to various colleges and i'm sitting there and it got me fired up again and it's like they flat out say in the documentary that these days colleges are not teaching kids to think yeah they are selling them a piece of paper to say you went here and that mm. is it and um yeah like it's i'm like in many ways our higher education system is seriously broken Mm -hmm. because it was funny that the, the, the guy who was like the ringleader and uh, was this middleman for all of these high profile people, he was like, yes, there's the front door where you apply and you have all the things and you get approved on merit. There's the back door, which is where you make a multi-million dollar donation for your kid to get a second look. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, so we're flat out saying that you could bribe the schools with $30 million. Was this, was this, was this the celebrity that, um, with the, the daughter that was on the rowing team. Yeah. And there was multiple kids like that. One kid was on the water polo team. Another kid was on crew. Another kid was, was, uh, you know, a walk on kicker for the football team and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, so this guy was saying, well, there's a side door. I've got contacts. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you maybe donate a million dollars to the equestrian program, and, you know, because not many kids, you know, do horseback riding and those types of sports, we can help get you in that way. And I'm like, okay, then. So we have the majority of kids, I'm going to call them kids, you know, coming out of college at 22 years old with $150,000 in student debt. You will be retired before you pay that off. 
Yeah. Um, you know, uh, is there no, you know, is there any reason why, like, that's a small mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> You're coming out of college with a small mortgage, but no house. Doesn't, um, doesn't this bring the conversation full circle to, to where we started that we're, we're not measuring our employees based on what they do. We're measuring them on the appearance of who they are. Right. Yes. And, and that's where a, a lot of this, um, a lot of this stuff comes from is we've, we've overvalued a piece of paper that you hold. Now, Absolutely. Are, are there people that get incredible value out of going to an Ivy league school with, without a doubt, but you have to evaluate that. You have to measure them on what they actually do and produce and not just value them on the piece of paper they have. It reminds me of my first job out of college. I think I was about a year in and we hired, we hired a new person and um, one of the team leads said, oh, um, by the way, they're from Harvard. I'm like, oh, yeah, Harvard. Oh, I guess they're, they're going to be a big deal. <laughs> it reminds me, what, this is the FedEx commercial um, where they're talking about shipping and logistics and the guy's like, ah, I have an MBA. And she's like, oh, you have an MBA. Well, I'm going to have to show you how it's done. <laughs> um, <laughs> I haven't seen that one. I'll have to look at it. Oh, man, I'll find that one, send it to you. It's, it's an old older commercial, but super on point and super funny. Um, however, I, I think my, my point is, is that it does kind of bring this conversation full circle that we started talking about is that we're, we kind of overvalue that. Now, if I'm at Harvard, do I have access to amazing mentors? Yeah. Um, could that put me further ahead of my career? Yeah. Did I use it? I don't know. Like we have to figure those things out, right? We, we have to measure the value of what work you've put in and the value you've got out of that system rather than saying, oh, well, they went to Harvard. So therefore they're, they're incrementally better than anyone else that didn't go to Harvard. It's simply I'm, not true. I'm not going to lie. Like, I mean, whatever my son wants to do, I will, you know, I will help him think through it. I'm not going to think for him. I'll help him think through it. I'll support him in ways I can, but not going to lie. I have no desire to see him go to an Ivy league school, you know, depending upon what he wants to do. Um, and that, that's just kind of my mindset right now. We'll see where we're at in 16 years, <laughs> see if that changes at all. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, who knows? I mean, that, that, that opinion is subject to change. Yeah. Um, when he was born, I immediately opened a 529 savings plan because I can't fool myself. We started a family later than, than most. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be going on 60 when he goes off to college. Um, so uh, his, you know, the, I need to have money tucked away to help him go to college. But like, if he comes to me and says, you know what? I really enjoy doing this. There's a way to make money doing it. And all I need to do is go through a two-year VOTEC program. Okay, let, let, let's talk about that. Let's think about that. Instead of going to a four or five-year, you know, college program, you know, whatever it ultimately comes down to. It's like, you know, we, we've made it so that you go to college to have this piece of paper. We've taken the mentor piece out of it. We've taken the apprenticeship piece out of it. And, you know, you, you come out settled with that. And I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> um, so let me try to reel well, myself well, back well, in. Well, let, let, let me pull it back to mentorship in that this is, this is a great example of where having a mentor can be extremely valuable. So if Bingo. I'm, there if, we go. If, if I'm, if I'm a high school student and I'm evaluating what my next step is, it, it's easy to maybe follow the crowd, but it'd be so much more valuable to have an actual mentor. And it'd be great if these were in the college, in the high schools. I, I don't know. It's been way too long since I was in high school, but when I was in high school, we had counselors, it, we had but, counselors like, but they weren't mentors. Let's be honest. No. Um, it would, it would have been great to have a mentor to say, well, what is it that you want to do? Or, you know, let me talk to you about a couple paths that I went down. You know, let me give you some ideas of what, what are available to you. Um, that's extremely valuable. Uh, other than that, again, I think most kids just follow the crowd. So if most of your friends are going to college and then you're going to kind of just do that, but why, what are you trying to solve for? It may be the right move for you, but have you thought deliberately about what you're, you're trying to do and what you want to do? And does that fit your, your path? And having a mentor that has been down that path and can give you the pros and cons and really force you to think again, have you stopped to think about dot, 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 
that's where, you know, the having that mentor relationship is extremely valuable. And the reality is, is we never grow out of it. While we may grow into mentor roles, we still need mentors for things that we're doing. Um, so while it may make a ton of sense as a high school student, we don't know anything really. Um, 40 years, 30 years, 20 years into our career, we still need mentors because we're still uncovering things that we've simply never done before. Um, and I think that is a really magical state where you've acquired knowledge and experience to give back and be a mentor, but still have the comfort level within yourself to say, I don't know anything yet. And I need a mentor myself. That's a really amazing place to get to. Mm -hmm. And what does that take? It takes a level of vulnerability yep, and, and not thinking, you know, it all. That's right. Yeah, which is incredibly difficult, especially given this, as we alluded to, uh, work culture where it's me against everyone else. If I admit that I don't know it, uh-oh, now I'm vulnerable. Yeah, that's now. several marks against me. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. So I, I can't imagine in a traditional corporate setup how difficult it would be to say, I don't know. I could benefit from having someone that, that, is, that can mentor me on this. How, how difficult would that be for most people to say that? I, I would think extremely hard, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as we start to wrap it up, you know, we, we've said it before, you know, and I think this conversation just shows more signs of it. You know, we need, you know, whether it's the analytics space specifically, the business world, there needs to be a true mentorship program. Yeah. And, and the part about being a mentor is, is, giving without the expectation of receiving. Yeah. And it, it, it truly is. And I mean, there, there are people that will, will knock that off and I'm going to take your word as like, you know, being a hippie. Um, <laughs> but what I found is, is for me, there's plenty of opportunities to make a buck there. There's plenty of opportunities to make money. Um, giving of yourself though, like, you know, there's also opportunities to do that and not miss out. It's not a zero sum game. It's not. You know, just because if, if I give some of my time away for free, like I loved it. it was last fall, you and I sat in on one of Stephen's uh, classes and the messages we both got from from some of the folks in there, you know, and I was like, I, I remember when he messaged us and I'm like, who would want to talk to me? Um, <laughs> right. And, you know, we're kind of stumbling over, at least I know I was stumbling over some of the responses or some of the responses to their questions. But then the messages we got afterward. We're like, you know, it was really cool to hear from you. Uh, it, it was really great. Some of the, the information you had. So, it, I mean, you know, it was an hour and, yeah. you know, yeah. like just, just some of the, the impact we were able to have on people. Sometimes that's all it takes. You know, we, we, we may get caught up saying, I don't have time to be a mentor and put it. Sometimes it's one and done an hour here and there. And you, you really, and we don't, we still, we don't fully understand just that one hour we spent at East Tennessee State, we have no idea the, the the impact that had, the totality of it. We got bits and pieces of feedback, but like that can have just that one hour of your time can have have massive, massive impact. And I hear, unfortunately, from so many people in our space, in the analytics space, that have risen to to a level of accomplishment, saying, "I have so many people reaching out and wanting help, and I just have to say no, I don't have time." And while I appreciate being able to to value your time and and properly manage it. I also think that we we owe it to a degree. I have such a hard time saying no to people that reach out in in a in a very um, humble and truly wanting help way. I have a hard time saying no to thirty minutes. Like if someone says, "Do you just have thirty minutes? I can talk to you. I'm trying to learn about and I really respect." I'm like, I can't say no to that. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And and here's the thing. Um, I you know I kind of took agencies and the DAA to task for using this as a revenue generating. Um, opportunity, which it shouldn't be. If you're making that your focus, it's wrong. However, if you're worried about losing opportunities, taking 30 minutes here, an hour there, I will tell you that in the long run, that pays off tenfold every time. It's just amazing how that works. Um, that giving of your time, it, it tends to come back and pay you off. In fact, I was talking to someone a couple weeks ago and they said, you know, what does your sales organization look like? How are you driving sales? And I'm like, I, I don't know. That's a really good question. <laughs> um, but what I do know is that the more I engage and talk to people and help and, and, and truly offer 
my the value that I can give without expectation or return, every time I do that, our sales pipeline explodes. Every time. So if you're worried about not being compensated for your time, don't. Don't use it as an opportunity to directly be compensated. That's the wrong model. But just know that giving of this time, the universe has a really special way of paying you back for doing that. And you will be mm-hmm. compensated. I, I guarantee yeah. it. Just It happens every single time. So I'm, I'm reminded of something from the four-hour work week that Tim Ferriss wrote. Um, God, when did that come out? 15 years ago or so? Yeah. Yeah, he was talking about like one of the first companies he he started was a supplement company mm-hmm. and he outsourced his customer service. And like one of the rules was like any kind of action that the customer service agent had to take that was over $50. And I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but for, for argument's sake, he was saying like it, it was say $50. Anything over that, they had to get approval to do it, you know, whether it's refund or shipping new product or whatever. And you know, he was starting to notice that, you know, like he had to jump in and give more approvals or customers were getting upset that legitimate claims were, were, were being dragged or, you know, taking forever because it was $55 or $60 or mm-hmm. something like that. So he's like, you know what? Contact me if it's over 200 bucks, if mm-hmm. it's under 200 bucks, do whatever it takes to make the customer happy. And he's like, if you do that, th- those people are going to come back and buy yeah. way more than $200 worth of stuff. That's right. And he's like, ratings went up, customer satisfaction went up, sales went up yeah. by just that one simple action of if it's under 200 bucks, find a way to compensate the customer because they're going to be happy and they're going to come back. Yep. It's amazing how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Really funny stuff. Yep. Good stuff. Yeah, this was this was good. This was fun. So, you know, we'll uh, we'll continue with this topic for for a couple more episodes, and you know, we'll go ahead and wrap up for now. Then. All right. See All right. Catch you later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.